Well, good morning, everybody. Everybody doing okay? All right, I'm going to jump right in this morning. The, the last couple of weeks we've been in this series talking through spiritual gifts, and um, I, I know that because we're a church that's normally just going through books of the Bible verse by verse and talking through select passages, um, it, it's kind of a change of pace for us to be in the midst of the series we've been doing the last couple of weeks. But one of the reasons that we sort of wanted to jump in and talk through spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit was because people are asking questions about it all the time. Like, where does our church stand on this? What do you guys believe about this? What does it look like to function in this gift in this day and time? And, and, and people are always asking questions. And so we thought, like, let's just jump in and let's talk about it and let's break down the gifts and talk through some of the specifics, give some definition to the gifts, and also um, spend some time praying for our church body that the Lord would sort of activate and release those gifts within our church. I want to make the comment this morning, though, that every person who is made alive in Jesus, and I hope you hear this this morning, every person who is made alive in Jesus is gifted by his Holy Spirit. Each of you that have called upon the name of the Lord as your Lord and Savior and are serving and following him are gifted by his Spirit. And these gifts are, are given to us for the sole pur purposes of loving one another and building up the body of Christ. And I want to make sure to reiterate, reiterate that over and over again. That's what the gifts are for. The gifts are not to point to us. The gifts are to serve the body. They're to allow the manifest love of Jesus to move through us and, ex and express that to others. And so there's three passages that I'm going to read this morning that we're going to kind of pull these gifts from. Uh, last week, if you were here, you know that I kind of broke these gifts down into three categories, which I hate categorizing the gifts, but it makes sense in order to teach them in some different categories for the next few weeks. So last week we talked about the love gifts, um, that the love gifts, gifts actually manifest the love of God in practical ways. And today we're going to talk about the word gifts, which clarify the nature and action and, and purposes of God. And then in the following weeks, we're going to talk about the power gifts, and they demonstrate the power and presence and reality of God. And so there's three passages, some of them I, I've read in prior weeks, that we're going to read over again and see where we get these gifts from. We don't give, get much definition in the text with these gifts, but a lot of people ask the question, like, well, what the heck is the gift of administration? What the heck is the gift of prophecy? What is the gift of tongues? How does that actually manifest itself today. And so we're just breaking down some of the practical aspects of these gifts. And so three passages I'm going to read this morning, Romans 12, 4 through 8, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 27 and 28, and then Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So let's jump in. Romans 12, 4 through 8 says this, for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of, one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, if one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, 28. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. 
Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you uh, for your word. I thank you that we have a lot to learn from it. Lord, I pray for us this morning that we'd really tune our hearts to hear from you. God, I pray that you'd speak to us. I pray even as we talk through these specific gifts this morning, I know there's people in this room that you've gifted in these areas. I pray, Lord, that they would just sense their heart coming to life as they are able to put language to the way that you've wired them and you've gifted them. Lord, I pray this morning that those gifts would actually be released in our church, that you'd show us what it looks like to use those to edify, to equip, to um, build up the body of Christ. And so we give you this time, Jesus, and we pray that you would seal it by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said before, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit has given you a gift and, or gifts. And they've been really given to you to help you engage the battle that's going on around us, right? Every person who's made alive in Jesus, as I've said before, is gifted by the Holy Spirit. And the way that you use these gifts in the battle that we are in is twofold. One, we can use them to reveal the love of Jesus to others. And two, like I said before, we use them to actually build one another up, to build the church up so that you can engage as a warrior in the battle that we're in. Like we, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. I don't know if you know this, but for us to be Christians who sit on our hands, on our thumbs, like, what is it? Like just twiddling our thumbs, there you go. Um, for us to be Christians who just twiddle our thumbs and sit back in a chair and become spectators in something that God actually called us to be contributors in it is really a waste of the gift that God has given you. And, and just to kind of clarify, I think the American church in some extent has created this venue for people to sit and twiddle their thumbs and stand on the sidelines of the game and not be engaged in the battle or the game that's actually taking place. God didn't just equip some and gift some to stand on a stage and speak, and they're sort of the ones that do the spiritual things while the rest of us partake in him. He's actually gifted and called each one of you in this room. Like last week, it was really neat at the end of the service to have people who resonated with the gifts that we talked about last week stand up and to pray for them because probably 30% of this room stood up last week in relation to those love gifts. What a cool thing. I heard stories even coming out of last week of people saying like, you know, my kid told me I needed to stand up because my kid saw the gift of mercy in me or my spouse saw this gift in me. And to actually see that it's not only something that you can identify in yourself and say, I think I have this bent. I think God has built me like this. But to actually have other people validate how it is that God has wired you and gifted you by the way they see you function is actually very encouraging to the body of Christ. Because there's some of you in this room that have gifts that I do not, and I have gifts that you don't. And when those are actually being used and serving, contributing to the body of Christ, we get to sit back and watch God like in his great diversity move in his mercy and his kindness, move in the church in different ways and varied forms by the ways that he has gifted and equipped us. And so part of the reason we're doing this whole series is because we really want to try to figure out what does it look like for the gifts to be activated or released in our church. Like we need all of the gifts to be activated in order to operate 
um, the way that the church, God intended for the church to operate. And so let's jump in. Uh, the first one in this set of word gifts that we're going to go through today, we're going to go through apostleship, we're going to go through teaching, exhortation, uh, leadership, shepherding or pastoring, and then we're going to end with evangelism this morning. And so the first one we're going to dive into is, is apostleship. How many of you heard that word before, apostleship? How many of you cringe when you hear that word a little bit because of people that have put that word or that title before their name, you know, apostle so-and-so? Um, th this gift of apostleship is often misunderstood because in the New Testament, apostleship isn't just a gift. It's actually an office in the church that's listed in Ephesians 4. So in, in 1 Timothy, you see the, even this office of an elder and, and a deacon talked about, like to govern the church, to provide leadership, governance to the church. And so those roles are, are roles that specific people have to fulfill in the church, and so it's part of the church's governance. And so in the early church, apostle was in office just like those two roles, like an elder or a deacon. However, unlike an elder or a deacon, the office of apostle today doesn't actually exist. And so sometimes we, we call this a capital A apostle versus a lowercase a gift, like apostleship gift. And so the capital A apostle is no longer. Like the lowercase a or gift of apostleship still remains in the church today. This capital A apostle, the, these were the 12 disciples of Jesus, minus Judas, plus Paul. The, this was a group who operated in the early church with the same authority as the Old Testament prophets. The, this was a group that could speak and could write the holy scriptures, right? They, they were sent into ministry by Jesus himself. They were eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection. They literally, the word says, laid the foundation of the church, as we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20. The, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The, the foundation is not still being laid today. The foundation is already laid, and, and Jesus is the cornerstone. And so the office of the apostle, capital A, doesn't exist today anymore like it did in the first century church. But the gift of apostleship, the lowercase a, still remains. And this gift is still very much present in Jesus' church, which is why, by the way, we see people listed as apostles in the New Testament who weren't a part of the original 12. They had the spiritual gift of apostleship, maybe like Timothy or Silas or Barnabas or Adronicus or, or Junia. And these were both men and women with the spiritual gift of apostleship. But to be an apostle... Um, here's what the gift is. Here's what it means. To be an apostle meant that you were a messenger or a representative of something. And so in the case of the spiritual gift, it means being sent by the Spirit of Jesus to begin new works for the sake of the kingdom of God. So here's a definition for us to wrap our brains around for apostleship. Those who are sent or specifically commissioned by Jesus' Spirit to maybe start new, new churches, new missions, new ministries, People with this gift are like the entrepreneurs of the church. Like they're constantly coming up with new ideas and new strategies for the church to make an impact in the world. And it's so important that, that we have these people operating in the church because they actually allow us to, be, to better contextualize the gospel of Jesus to an ever-changing culture that we all live in, right? We need the spiritual gift of apostleship in the church today. But I want to emphasize something. And I'll continue to emphasize this throughout the teaching of these gifts, is that the gift is not limited to church planters. 
It's not limited to professionals. It's not limited to elders or deacons or paid staff in the church. This is a gift that's given to anybody within the church. Anybody can have it. The gift of apostleship exists even within our church today. However, here's what apostleship is not. Apostleship is not those of us who have lots of ideas for other people to do, right? And sometimes it can be mistaken like that. Like, I just want to make this really clear. This is super common. As a pastor, I get this all the time. Hey, here's a great idea for you to do. I got this amazing idea. You guys should go do these things. Here's what you should be doing. And oftentimes, the way I will respond to somebody who's making a comment like that is like, that's great. Why don't you start it? What kind of support do you need? How can we equip you and get behind you to fulfill that task? Like, you have the vision for it. God gave you that idea. What's it look like to get behind you to accomplish what he's calling you to do? Unfortunately, um, that can often be the end of the conversation when I have it with people. It's just like, no, I was just hoping you would do it. (laughs) But sometimes God births an idea away in your heart, in your mind, And some of you who he's given this gift to have an ability to see and to jump into things that nobody else can. Last week I talked about the snowblower versus the snow shovel, right? Some of you just, you're like a snowblower. It's like you have this divine ability to see things, to jump into the unknown, to help give direction to the church in that way. Apostleship is not having great ideas, but apostleship is being sent You don't just see what other people should do. You're sent to actually go and begin the work that God's called you to. So for people with this gift, it's really important that you stay connected in the local church. And I'm going to reiterate this through all of the gifts. Because the gifts minus a connectedness to a community of faith wreak havoc on our society. Like, we've continued to see that happen because there's no accountability. There's not the diversity of the gifts working together. It's people sort of leading the charge to do the thing that they want to do the way that they want to do it with no oversight and no connectedness anywhere. They just want to be their own bosses, and they just want to make it happen, and it doesn't often end well. And I think one of the most dangerous things with this gift of apostleship is when you become disconnected from the the local church, honestly, because it's a real temptation because to... To the people who are wired this way, like the, the holy rhythms of sort of church life, like even being in gatherings and connecting in community and having like some of these historical sort of landmarks in the way, the rhythm of the church and the way we do things. Um, for many who have this gift, that possess this gift, it seems too slow and oftentimes backwards to them. They get frustrated. Oftentimes, you're the entrepreneurs of the church. You're like the Forbes 30 under 30, right? And the worst thing that you can do is disconnect from the local church to to allow resentment to go into your heart, to go and start this new thing because the church just doesn't get it. And it happens all the time. It's a big problem. So apostleship, that's the first gift of these word gifts. I'm going to try to move quickly this morning. The second one that we see mentioned in these passages is the gift of teaching. Teaching is the supernatural ability to explain, expose, and apply biblical truth. And I want you to hear that this morning. We have a lot of amazing teachers in our church. I mean, like, we just handed out cards to 18 people that serve in the school districts um, in and around us this morning. We have amazing people who are teachers in this church. People who make their living from teaching. 
They're great communicators with great abilities and acquired skills. But last week we talked about natural abilities and acquired skills. The fact that natural abilities and acquired skills don't always equate to the spiritual gifts that we have. But many of you, as I said, you teach for a living. But you may or may not have this gift of teaching. Just because you teach for a living doesn't mean you have the spiritual gift of teaching. The word supernatural in our definition is really, really important in attachment to this gift. This gift, like all the gifts, is church-centered. The Spirit gives this gift for the building up of the church. That means it's not the spiritual gift of teaching when you're teaching math or economics or maybe like weightlifting 101, right? That's not the spiritual gift. You might be an amazing communicator. You might be a great teacher. But don't confuse those abilities with this spiritual gift. The spiritual gift is centered on the church. I love how one person said it, that the spiritual gift of teaching is the living word, Jesus, using his written word, the Bible, by the Holy Spirit to bring about the will of the Father. That's what a teacher is. The spiritual gift of teaching is the supernaturally empowered communication of biblical truth. It's specific to biblical truth. The the gift of teaching is the teaching of the Bible. If you have this gift, then you're somebody who's full of joy and passion to teach the Bible. Like you just get amped up to parse out scripture and help people understand it. These people with this gift tend to love studying. Like you're a lifelong learner. You, You have a burden to see the church thrive and the church become healthy. They want the lordship of Jesus to alter the framework of everybody else's lives. They want... The, the, the scriptures to be held to and to be taught. Like, this is an amazing gift because what happens when this gift is being used properly is that the teacher, herself or himself, actually becomes less important. Because it isn't about making much of you. It's actually about making much of Jesus. It's about giving Jesus the pedestal. And so you teach in order to point people to Christ, to help them understand who he is and what it means to follow after him. And I think because teachers generally stand on platforms, like both literally and figuratively, right? This gift has a way of sort of patting people's egos. And this is one of the only gifts that comes with a fairly strict warning in the book of James. James 3, 1, James says that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we, we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So there's a warning attached to this gift. It's essential if you have this gift that you know that the primary pursuit cannot be teaching. It's not just about teaching. The primary pursuit of your life has to be being filled with Jesus' spirit, being filled with Jesus' words before actually disseminating the truths of his word to others. You yourself need to be somebody who immerses yourself in it. A huge warning sign with with this gift is when those with the teaching gift begin to demand a platform instead of waiting humbly on Jesus' spirit to raise them up in his way and his time, to give them the platform. But the scary thing is that the, the teaching gift will operate even when people are far away from Jesus. And this is what gets really crazy, and I don't understand how it works. But people can function in this gift and be far from Jesus, and God can still use them in that gift. I don't even know if you guys need me to give you examples of that, because we've probably all seen it within the church in our lifetime. If you have this gift more vital than you teaching, it's more important that you're seeking the presence of Jesus and seeking him in the quiet place, that that you're seeking him in the hidden places. 
This gift of teaching is also related to this next gift that I'm going to talk about, which is exhortation. Exhortation is the capacity to urge people to action in terms of applying biblical truth, to encourage people generally with biblical truth, or to comfort people through the application of biblical truth to their needs. So I find that for this gift, exhortation, that when most people hear it mentioned, they tend to think of confrontation. Anybody else in here? I got the gift of exhortation. That means like I'm a jerk, right? That I'm just like super good at confronting people and calling truths out. Um, This is sort of the spiritual gift that a lot of people would think they have, but actually, again, you're just a jerk. So um, to be honest, like even some of you think you have this gift because you love getting in people's faces and you don't mind using the Bible as a weapon to do so. That's not the gift of exhortation. That's not what it's about. The same word translated as exhortation in in these passages is translated all over the New Testament as consolation or encouragement. Did you know that this word was translated as exhortation and it was actually used to describe aspects of both the Holy Spirit's ministry and Jesus' ministry, the same word. In John 14, Jesus uses this word to talk about the counseling of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does not come at you with the Bible as a weapon. That's not the way that the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit comes at you like a dove, right? Like a sensitive bird that you can actually scare away, right? You can grieve it. You can quench it. You can resist it. He comes at you like a dove. He's not timid, but he's a still small voice. And in 1 John, the Apostle John uses the same word to talk about the advocating work of Jesus. The way that Jesus advocates for you before the Father. And so we talk about exhortation and we're talking about encouragement and consolation. Like this gift absolutely will include confrontation at times. But it's a gentle rebuke that comes across in love. You bring the word of God to bear in the life of the person that you're desiring to exhort. Uh, Leslie Flynn put it like this. She says, the gift of exhortation involves the supernatural ability to come alongside to help, to strengthen the weak, to reassure the wavering, to buttress the buffeted, to steady the faltering, to console the troubled, and, and encourage the, halted, the halting. The exhortation gift is a lot like the gift of mercy, except those with this gift of exhortation tend to think word of God first. First and foremost, it's about the word. Like, they, they see you struggling. They, they see somebody suffering and hurting. And the first instinct is to like go find a passage from the word of God that can help encourage and edify and build that person up. Like your first instinct isn't necessarily to go to the grocery store, buy a bag of groceries, or buy a bunch of socks for somebody. You're always asking, what is it that the Lord is saying? Like you read the scriptures and people's faces come to your mind. Anybody ever have that happen before? You like read the word of God and you start seeing people that God's giving you words for through his word that you want to share and to encourage people with. How many of you guys know Joey Swope? Yeah. You, you, you want to see this gift in action. That dude right there. How many of you are on Joey's text messages? Seriously, raise your hand. I want to know how many people get these text messages. This dude is constantly sending passages, words of encouragement. He's constantly going after people to encourage them throughout their day. Like, it's an amazing gift, Joey. Like, that's that gift panning out in our own church family, watching it move through Joey. 
if you have this gift, one of your strongest desires is to get the Bible into people's hands. And why would that be, that you would desire that? Because you've been personally transformed by the Word of God. You know how powerful his voice is. Somebody with this gift is not satisfied with like superficial acceptance of the truth. Like they're not satisfied with just being in a gathering on Sunday and then leaving these four walls and just going to lunch and calling the past the past and just moving on with their day. They want to keep talking about it because they believe in the power of God, in the word of God, that God is moving, that there's more to this. And if there's a danger or a dark side to this gift, it's that the people who operate in this gift often don't receive the same amount of encouragement back from people as they give out to others. Joey, is that true? <laughs> Do people encourage you as much as you encourage others? Yeah. Be mindful of that. Like, that the, the, when Joey sends me a text message, I'm always thinking, this dude is, like, seeking to encourage me, and he often, God will have him send me a text or... Uh, some sort of a message in a very needed time, like, I get to text him back and say, thanks, bro, for that, or, man, you were on my mind today. I want you to know how much I love you, Joey. You're always telling everybody how much you love them, how much the Lord loves you. are always seeking to encourage others and exhort others, but they themselves often need to be encouraged as well. Nothing can minister to them more than the Bible. Like, man, shoot a passage back to Joey. <laughs> Joey's going to get stoked. There's an awesome opportunity for us as the church to play off each other's gifts like that. Like, you use them the way that God intended you to use them. We use ours the way that God intended us to use them. And as all those gifts begin to function together, the church comes alive because you see people functioning in the very diverse ways that God has created, built up, um, and wired his church. Third thing, um, the gift of leadership. So this is the spirit-given capacity to exercise influence over a group of people, moving them toward a vision or a goal, enabling the body of Christ to accomplish their God-given purpose. Now, there's a lot of misconceptions with this gift of leadership. So I want to clear up a couple of them first. Leadership is not administration. How many of you in this room that maybe have the gift of leadership are like, holler, amen, you know? It's not the gift of administration. Remember, we talked about administration last week. Administration is this steering gift, this big ship, this open sea, these deep waters. That's the church. And Jesus has called some to be at the helm of the ship, setting the direction. Um, and they've, he's called some to be in the back room with the map, trying to figure out where we're going to go. And there's others that are actually steering it. Some people are saying, we're here, we need to go there. And some people are actually the ones that are steering the ship to get it from point A to point B. The leadership gift is about seeing the big picture for a group of Jesus' people. It's a conceptual gift of sorts. It's vision, not necessarily implementation. And so, by the way, people with this gift tend to be fairly deficient at knowing how all the pieces are going to move together. I will admit to this, right? I probably fall in this category. I do not understand how everything works together. By God's grace, he's surrounded me with people that see much better and much more clearly than I do because I'm often just like, man, I know we need to go there. I don't necessarily know how to get it there, but God has gifted and wired people to make that happen. And so one of the misunderstandings with this gift is that people often want or demand their leaders to be administrators. 
They, they don't just want to set direction. They want you to get down and make everything work. And that's just not the way this gift is. And it's actually by design because we're a body. And so as we're told, every part is meant to be reliant on the other parts. And so we can't fault our leaders for their deficiencies. Like we actually come alongside and we free people up so they can do what they're gifted to do. We looked at this last week, but it's why the elders in Acts chapter 6 refused to be moved from the, the priority of prayer and the word to helping with the daily distribution of food to the widows. So prayer and the word were the primary tools in this, the leader's toolbox of sorts. We have a lot of leaders in this room this morning. There's a ton of you. People with this spiritual gift, if you have a leadership gifting, your strength does not come from aptitude. Your strength does not come from your capacity. Your strength does not come from leadership principles that you glean from other sectors in this world. Like, that is not where it comes from. That is not the spiritual gift of leadership. Your strength as a leader comes from the prayer closet. It comes from getting on your face before God, first and foremost. Your strength comes from the secret place. I, I will tell you by example, I always want to be like going and doing and doing and casting vision and trying this and trying that. What I'm realizing the older I get is if I don't have pockets where I just like tune people out for a moment and get time with me and the Lord in total silence to pray, to seek him and ask him to speak to me, then I am deficient as the leader that God has created me to be because I haven't gone to him first. One of the issues in the church today is you see so often as leaders begin to glean understanding for their leadership um, styles or um, their leadership direction from the business community. And honestly, it's a pet peeve of mine because I don't think that God has built leaders in the church to be CEOs of church organizations. I think that God has gifted leaders in the church to be spiritual guides to the church, to literally seek his face and his direction for the Holy Spirit to be the one leading them, not business principles of leadership. It, it is honestly, it's wreaked havoc in the American church. As we've structured the church more and more like businesses, we've gone away from being led by the Spirit and we've drawn closer to being led by business models that the next business guru has kind of pitched for us. Now, if you're in the business world, God has called you to the marketplace, you have a ton to learn from the business community. First and foremost, though, if God has called you as a leader in the church, your first and foremost responsibility is on your face before God to glean from him and get direction from him. How has he wired you? How has he asked you to lead in this season? It's not just about applying business leadership principles to Jesus' church. Fourth, uh, this gift of shepherding or pastoring. Um, real quick kind of caveat. Again, all these gifts are for the whole church, as we've said before. All these gifts are given to both male and female. There's no difference in these gifts, uh, differentiation in these gifts. So the gift of shepherding refers to the capacity to exercise concern and care for members of a group so as to encourage them in their growth in Christ, which involves modeling maturity, protecting them from error, and disseminating truth. We have amazing shepherds in this church, you guys, all throughout our body, not just ones you see on the stage sometimes on Sundays. We have amazing shepherds. The word shepherd, as I said, um, can be translated as pastor. It actually only shows up as pastor once in all of the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 4. 
And this is why it's too bad that the word pastor has become more often used for an office than a gifting. So biblically in the New Testament, you have two offices in the church. You've got elder and you have this deacon. Those are kind of the two offices. Here at Anthem, we would refer to deacons as ministers. They're servants. That's what that word means. At Anthem, we would have an office of an elder. We would have a whole bunch of ministers within the church. Uh, we, we see pastors as caretakers. They, they are people that have a burden for others to care for people's souls. We have pastoral staff and we have elders that we would say possess a pastoral gifting. Like we don't hire pastors at our church. We actually hire directors. And if after six months to a year of watching them function in a director role, we see the pastoral gifting in them, then our elders will validate that pastoral gift. But we don't just give out that title because we want to see people to actually care for the spiritual journey that people are on, to care for people's souls within our church. The, the key idea with this gift is long-term care, long-term concern for the spiritual welfare of others. Shepherds walk alongside others. They model the Christian life. They accept personal responsibility for the well-being of those around them. Like We have a paid staff who's shepherd, which is awesome. But, but it's critical that we understand that the pastor shepherds in our church are not limited to paid staff and our elders. There are many of you in this room that God has built, gifted with a shepherding gift. The best examples of shepherds, honestly, in our church community are community group leaders. They're those who open up their homes and their lives so that you can know them and that you can be known as well. You can be part of this church. They're leaders who tend to think about you first what you need, how they can serve you. They're people with the spiritual gift of, um, sp people with the spiritual gift of leadership tend to think about the church as a whole, like big picture. Shepherds tend to think about the individual sheep, like the people that are part of our body. They come alongside you with practical, uh, like practical actions, pointed prayers. They model Christ like this in a usually like a smaller setting. This gift is not vision. It's not necessarily administrative. It's about discipleship. If you're somebody who has a shepherding gift, you need to absolutely make sure that you're involved in a leadership track to help lead or co-lead, maybe a community group in our church. Like, this isn't a ploy for that, but that's how our church gets cared for, by people that desire to use the gift that's God, that God's given them to shepherd and to care for those that God's put in their care. And so we want to see people functioning like that in our church, to use that gift. And the church can't be healthy without each of you using the gift that you've been given. And so before we hit the last one for today, evangelism, I want to make sure that you guys are seeing some things. That This leadership gift that we looked at is interesting because usually those with a leadership gifting have at least one other like word gift maybe. Usually you have at least one other word gift, and that word gift becomes like the way that, that you work out your leadership gifting. And so you, you have leaders with apostleship gifts who, who love to turn to the church, turn the church into sort of like this engine to start new churches and ministries and new movements. And if you have a leader in a church with an apostleship gift, that leader wants to sort of shape the church to, to just begin new things all of the time. It's sort of like this engine. It's like pumping out new things. We have leaders with teaching gifts who love to turn the church into schools and seminaries to help people understand doctrine and theology to really get it so we can actually raise people up who, who come away from our church with some sort of theological training. We have leaders with a shepherding gift who love to build community 
to invest in people, the one-on-ones. We have leaders with evangelistic gifts who love to turn the church into sort of this evangelism training ground, right? Where everything's about going after the lost. Everything's about the, the person who's coming in that doesn't know Jesus, and that becomes their focus. And I need us to see as we go through this, when we build a church around the gifts of one particular leader, one particular leader's bent, it creates a problem for us that has wreaked havoc in the church as you and I know it, especially in consumeristic cultures like we live in in America. The local church is supposed to be a body, right? And, and, and all of the variety we've listed here for us in the New Testament is supposed to be present, all of the gifts. We, we need all of the parts and the gifts to actually be working together. We need, as a church, to be planting churches, starting ministries, teaching doctrine, building community, raising evangelists, all at once, all at the same time. That needs to be happening. But how are we actually going to do that becomes the question. And to be really honest with you, with you this morning, I have no clue. <laughs> I have no clue how that works, how God desires to use those gifts to work together. Like I might have like a leadership sort of gift, so I'm going to keep telling you guys to do something with what the Lord has spoken to you, with what he's given to you, to take ownership, to stop being a spectator, to get in the game and use what God's given you, to talk to the people you have to, to figure out how to utilize the gift that you have. We need to have these conversations. Those in the church that have like apostleship gifts and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers, They need to be the ones to equip the body for the works of service, for works of ministry that the Lord has called you. My, my point and the reason that like, I've even been so excited about talking through this series is because I actually want to see you, like this church, functioning in the ways that the Spirit of Jesus has gifted you. I really want to see that happen. I don't necessarily know the particulars of how that's going to happen, but I don't think the first century church really understood the particulars of that either. It was simple obedience. It was getting on our face before the Lord. It was always putting him first and desiring to build up, to encourage, to love, and invest in his church. You are not a spectator. You are the family of God. You're a missionary. You're a soldier. You're a farmer. You're an athlete. You're a laborer in the field. You have a good master that's literally given you great talent, abilities. He's coming back to see the return on his investment someday. He's coming back to see what you've done with what he's given you. You've been gifted. You can't bury that gift in the ground, right? You can't bury it and expect the master to be pleased when he, when he returns that you sat in the chair. But rather, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you spend and steward this treasure that I put within you. And it's time for Jesus' people to honestly stop borrowing from the world on this point. Like building churches around personalities and charisma and giftedness. Like we need to be a people that all work together and realize that we all have a part to play. This isn't about one person. It's the priesthood of all believers is what we believe. This is why we need these gifts to be activated in our body. The last one is this, evangelism. And again, evangelism is a gift that you are all called to. There's not one of you in this room that should not have some level of burden in your life to share the gospel of Jesus with somebody who does not know him. However, like I said before, 
for some of us, you have this divine spiritual ability in this area, like a snowblower that you've been given. You see this gift in Ephesians 4 and Acts 21 and 2 Timothy 4. Here's a definition. Evangelism refers to the special ability to communicate the gospel message in relevant and effective ways to those outside of Jesus. So those of you with the gift of evangelism, you know who you are. And actually the people around you know who you are. You're actually really hard to hide. Like you burn inside with the fact that people right now are dying without Jesus. Like that breaks and burdens your heart. And do you know why it burdens your heart so greatly? Because it burdens the heart of Jesus. Do, do you know that, that Jesus longs to be with his bride, right? But that Jesus is waiting. He's not slow to fulfill his promise. He's actually patiently waiting. Why? Because he desires that none should perish. He's waiting for more to come into the family, to come to know him. And so you have to understand how high of a priority this is on, on, on the Spirit's list of to-dos. The hope of the world is Jesus coming back. And the reason that he's waiting is for more people to come to know him. So the Spirit gives this evangelistic gifting to the church. Some of us have this evangelistic gifting and you cannot help but share the gospel. The, the gospel message is not proclaimed until the gospel message is proclaimed. At some point, it has to be proclaimed. The gospel is not heard by the living of a good godly life. That's not how the, the message goes forth. The gospel comes from two Greek words, meaning good news and announcement. The, the gospel is literally the announcement of good news is what it means. It's the announcement of this historically verifiable event that happened 20 centuries ago, right? When Jesus, a Jewish baby, was born, fully God, fully man. He took our sins upon himself. He dies on this cross. He was buried. He rose from the dead three days later. That's a pivotal event when somebody rises from the dead, is it not? It's a mile marker. And this event happened. The, the whole world has been changed as a result of this event. And so we have stories of all the people whose lives were changed around this event. Like we have historical documents that were collected, that were preserved for us by the Spirit so that we can know what actually took place. But the gospel is not preached until somebody actually takes what it is they know and begins to proclaim that and share that with others. That's some of you in this room. The Spirit has burned in your heart that others would know Jesus. And he leads you in creative ways to make that message known. Like you're walking by people on the road and it's just like the Lord highlights them and you're like, I gotta share with that person. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about and you've been in those positions. So these are the gifts, the word gifts, apostleship, teaching, leadership, exhortation, shepherding, evangelism. Every one of them is the manifestation of the Spirit. Every one is sort of a window into the heart of God for others. And so we desire these gifts. We should pursue these gifts. Why? Because we actually want more of Jesus. We're not distracted by the tools we're given. We actually want him. And so we need to be people that pray for him to activate these gifts within us, release these gifts in his body. If you're, a spiritually, if you're spiritually gifted in any of these areas, you need to know that you have an enemy that, that, that is holding you back, that wants to blind and distract you and seeks to conquer and to divide and keep you from using the gift that, God, that God's given you. And I don't know about you, but I find that often the greatest attack comes in the area of spiritual giftedness that I have. That's where I find the greatest opposition. 
I want to ask you guys to stand this morning. I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come up. And as we're talking about these gifts this morning, and I know this is more practical stuff where we're breaking down these gifts and talking about them, but most of you in this room have read through these passages before. Some of you in this room have never even asked what gifts that the Lord has given you or what those look like, how those would manifest themselves in your life today. But some of you, maybe the Lord's leading and you sense that you have a gift, the gift of apostleship. Maybe you sense that you have this gift of teaching. Maybe you sense that you have this gift of exhortation or leadership or shepherding, pastoring, or, or maybe evangelism. And if that's you this morning, that you sense that the, the Lord is leading in one of those areas in your life, you may not have it all figured out, but you sense that you sort of align with at least one of those gifts this morning. Would you raise your hand? Keep your hands up. That's rad. All of you guys that are around those people with their hands up, I want you to lay hands on them. This is like a church-wide opportunity to lay hands on these people and pray for them because we are better off as a church when God is using them in the gift that he's given them. And so let's pray for these people. Jesus, we thank you for each person um, that has raised their hand, that has identified this morning, Lord, that you have called, that you've equipped them, gifted them in one of these areas. I pray, Jesus, that as they begin to turn to you and ask, Lord, what does this look like? How does this manifest itself in my life? That you begin to give them clear direction. I pray as a church that we would be a church that invites the multitude of the gifts to be used within this church. God, we need them. We need the pastors in this room. We need the teachers in this room and the exhorters in this room and the, and the evangelists and the, the apostles. God, we need them all to be functioning the way that you've called them to. And so I pray this morning, God, that maybe a handful of things that were said this morning would resonate in their heart. Maybe you'd be giving them some direction right now. But I pray, God, ultimately it's up to your spirit to lead us. These are spiritual gifts. These are supernatural gifts that you've given to us and that you desire to actually use them through us. And so I pray your spirit go before each person in this room that has raised their hand this morning. I ask Jesus that you not only activate that gift and release it, but God, that even as they walk out these four walls this morning, they begin to look for opportunities to utilize that gift. Help us as a church understand how to care for and equip these gifts that you've put present in our church. I pray that they would come alive, Jesus. I pray that all of us would just leave this place this morning with hearts of expectation and encouragement as we look around the church and see how 30% of the people last week were gifted in these areas and maybe like 15, 20% of them this morning raised their hand and they're gifted in these areas and we get to stand around and go, it's so cool to see God has gifted us all so uniquely, but God, we need to walk in that. And so I pray your hand be upon them, that your spirit would anoint them for the work that you've called them to do, that they would not turn to the world to try to find enlightenment on how to use these uh, talents, but in fact, they would turn to you and just say, Jesus, would you show me how it is you desired to use the gift that you've given me? Bless your church, Jesus. I pray that there would be a fire in all of our guts as we are approaching a world that is just gnarly. And if we are not equipped by the Spirit to walk out into this world, to be led by you, to say what you want us to say, to do what you want us to do, God, to constantly be tuning our hearts and ears to your voice, then we will be deficient as a church. 
And so this morning, even as we spend some time in worship, I pray that it'd be a time for us to stop dead in our tracks, to take a deep breath this morning, to allow the cares of our last week to sort of fall to the side, for us to focus our attention on you this morning and ask Jesus, would you encourage us? Would you challenge us? Would you build us up? Would you meet us in this place this morning? Would you protect our worship from becoming mere lip service and, and, and lip syncing, God? Would our worship become something where our hearts begin to engage the God of the universe in a very real, tangible way? And would you bless your church this morning through our worship? In Jesus' name, amen.